Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today we are joined by PGA Tour star Luke Donald. I'd like to thank Luke for his uh, gracious time. He stayed with us for about an hour and uh, hope you guys enjoy this podcast with the former number one ranked player in the world. The fried egg requires a different technique. What you need to do is actually square the face so it'll dig down underneath that bad lie and propel that ball right out onto the green. Here's the thing, playing out of a buried lie in a bunker is completely different than playing out of a nice, clean lie in a greenside bunker. You need to be aggressive on any shot, whether it's sitting cleanly or it's a uh, fried egg. Well, we've all faced it, the dreaded fried egg. Not to be feared, though, it's actually a pretty easy shot to hit. You played a lot of golf in, in Chicago. What are, what are your favorite courses? Wow, lots of, uh, lots of good ones in Chicago. I think it's a little bit of a hidden gem of a place for, for golf courses. Um, some of my favorites, um, yeah, Chicago Golf Club, obviously. Very fortunate to have played there. Um, Shore Acres. Um, you know, I, I practice and play when I'm up there in the summers at Conway Farms. I go to the North Shore Country Club. I love Skokie. Um, it's a great course. Um, wow, I'm trying to think of some other ones. But we were very fortunate when I was at college, you know, to play a, a rotation of golf courses and yeah, some really good ones. Just some of those on, on that list. Norwood is another good one. Um, yeah, a lot of good ones. What well, What was the Northwestern's an interesting school because it's you, you're very urban. I mean, you're pretty much like a essentially like an extension of Chicago. What was it like when you know coming to America and going to school in Chicago and just like that transition? Was it? Well, I actually think I was very fortunate to, to kind of land my feet in, in, in Northwestern. I'd never heard of Northwestern uh, growing up in England. Um, you know, I think America's like a, a, a very different country to, to England in terms of, you know, you're just not that aware of all the different colleges. And you know, college golf and college sports is just totally different to what it is in, in the UK. Um, you know, I'd heard of Harvard and Stanford and Yale and kind of those big kind of places you hear through TV and stuff. But um, I was recruited by Stanford. Um, Tiger at the time was still on the team. And, you know, I thought, well, Tiger's a great player. You know, I just, I've heard of Stanford. This seems like a perfect fit. But ended up not getting there. And um, the coach there, Wally Goodwin, was a former Northwestern coach. So he, he said, you know, I feel bad you didn't get in the school. Um, I think you should go visit Northwestern. You know, a good friend of mine, um, Pat Goss, has just become coach, and I think you'd really like it. So, yeah, I didn't have many options at this point, so I, so I went for a visit. I had some options, but a uh, place I'd never really heard of. But, you know, having got the recommendation, I thought, yeah, let's go have a, have a look. And I just absolutely loved um, the place, I fell in love with it straight away. You know, all the golf courses, Pat took me around just for my official visit. But I think I was very fortunate that I ended up in a, a big northern city like that, you know, instead of possibly ending up in a, a southern place like Clemson or Georgia Tech or Oklahoma State, you know, somewhere that where the culture, very different to where I grew up in England. You know, I think Northwestern being right close to Chicago, um, 
you know, the big city um, didn't seem very different to where I grew up just outside of London. So I think in that way, for me, culturally, it wasn't too much of a big of a shock. I, I didn't really feel homesick. Uh, I just got straight into the 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 way of life over Northwestern Australia. I, I really enjoyed it. What? How was it? And you've spent a lot of you know time in Chicago after playing. Like, do you do you think there's benefit with time away from the game, like with the winter? I think so. I think even um, you know, even just seeing in the in college, you know, a lot of people say, "Well, how how, how did you practice? How do you get better?" You know, it's, it's the courses are shut five months of the year, pretty much uh, up there in Chicago. Like, how were you still able to compete? And we were able to compete. We were a top twenty team in the nation when I was in college. You know, we finished third at NCAA's one year, seventh another year. So we were we were very competitive and strong. And I think actually having that time. Where you're literally, I mean, we would practice in the indoor uh, the American football, like indoor AstroTurf area, you know, their practice area. So we could we could see shots go for about sixty yards, but then they'd hit a net. So again, I think just sometimes having that practice and that time where you're just thinking about fundamentals and you don't care where the ball's going, that has value. You know, I think sometimes, you know. When you're practicing, it's important to do both of those. You know, if you have the the ability to practice outside, at times when you're working on things, you shouldn't really worry about what the ball is, how the strike is. You're just trying to feel new movements and correct some fundamentals, and and that's what you should be concentrating on. Then you should switch your focus and obviously um, switch it to you know shot making and not thinking about fundamentals but I think the time we had in Chicago especially when I was in college um, was was important because uh, I could really spend some time on some fundamentals that I wanted to work on and it also forced you to kind of rest a little bit more you know I think even in my my best years on tour in 2011-2012 Leading up to those years, I, I would have not touched a club for six weeks, seven, eight weeks possibly, and then had a month to practice. We had more of an off-season then, um, and having that time off was really valuable. Yeah, it get kind of recharged you know, mentally. I mean, what other sport plays all year round? I mean, there's, I can't even think of one other than golf. It, it's fascinating too because what you see with teams that often go – deep in the playoffs as they struggle the next year because of all those added games like there's a definite a, a compiling effect that's your tom brady right <laughs> yeah I, I i agree with you though yes um i think um, rest recovery is is really really important and um it's hard to do that on the pga tour now i think you're you're seeing probably more injuries because of it mm-hmm. that's uh brady was talking i heard somebody talking about how brady's like arm strength he focuses so much on technique that his arm strength is still you know the same at 42 as it was when he was 30 and it's because he's focused so much on the technique of throwing a football which is yeah it's it's interesting um you know he obviously has his methods everyone's quite aware of them you know tries to be pliable or something uh you know the tb12 method but I don't know, whatever he's doing, it's working. Yeah, it's, it's scary to think about how many you might end up with. So you, at, at Northwestern, you were an art and theory major. 
and you our theory and practice yes. our theory and practice so you also in your downtime like to like to you know paint and and different art stuff i haven't done it uh for quite a few years now i think since since kids came on the scene it's um kind of taken a, a back burner um but i certainly you know i i I practiced it. The last time I did anything art-wise really was 2012 for the Ryder Cup um, when it was at Medina here in, in Chicago, obviously. They were, they were, remember at one point they did the, the painted cows and they put them all around the city. So for the Ryder Cup, they decided to do these big painted golf balls and I did one for, for the Ryder Cup and um, auctioned it off, I think. So um, that was the last time I, I did any kind of form of art. Now I just kind of watch my daughters scribble and, and color <laughs> and uh, paint things. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't do too much of that now. So it, an age-long debate with golf is like, is it art or is it science? And I know you're, you're also very pretty analytical with, with the game. Where do you, where do you kind of fall with with the art well, artistry and yeah it's 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 a good question I think um, there has to be a mix of both really I mean you know sometimes I hear you know commentators or I see a, someone hit a great shot and they'll say well that that guy what great feel he has you know that's he just you you just can't teach that and I'm like I I don't agree with that you know I don't agree at all with that you know I feel like having the understanding of, you know, what makes me a great short game player is I understand the fundamentals very well and I practice them and, I, and I've got them very, very well. And so I'm able to control my strike, my spin. Um, I'm able to control my trajectory, you know, and through that, I'm able to create great feel. I'm able to hit great shots. And, and some people might call that, you know, oh, he has great feel, but that's a lot of work over time. So that's a mixture of, um, you know, that's a lot of science in a way. Um, you know, we, we've, we hear, um, you know, Bryson talking about this pro, pro, uh, procreation or no pro, uh, I can't remember the word now, but it, you know, it's, it's, it's understanding where everything is in space pretty much. I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the, the word, word but, yeah. um, um, but you know, that, um, that is worked over through lots and lots of work and practice. For someone who doesn't have the right fundamentals and has, you know, hits it one off the toe, one, one off the heel, thins one, one fat one, you know, obviously it's very hard for them to create consistency and, and, and get that feel. But once you have those great fundamentals, then you can work on you know, a little bit more of the, the, the art side, the visualizing, the, the not thinking about the technique so much. You know, I think that's when it becomes more artistic but you have to build that 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 feel and a base of fundamentals before you can kind of do that so being one of the you know best players around the greens and on the greens for decades how do you go about building what the way you practice yeah, I, th I think um, first and foremost is, you know, perfecting those fundamentals, you know, really understanding them, what, what you think is correct fundamentals and wor really working hard on them, getting them to a point where you don't have to think about them. Mm -hmm. um, and once you can do that, then you can come up with great ways to practice, um, you know, great drills. Um, you know, occasionally I'm, I'm 
I'm hitting balls from the same spot and I'm re repeating, you know, doing lots of reps. And that's the time when I'm kind of working on my fundamentals. I'm just trying to groove something in. Um, but that has to be only a small part of your practice, I think, especially with short game. Then you have to start incorporating what golf looks like on the golf course. And that's, you know, every shot is different. Um, so creating variability in your practice, creating a little bit of pressure in your practice, um, coming up with cool kind of drills to, you know, um, bring about variability and pressure, I think is, is really important. And um, once you put that together with solid fundamentals, and that's, that's only going to pay off and lead to good results. A lot of Americans have, you know, some you know, disdain for your exemplary match play record, you know. Um, in terms of match play and stroke play, and you've had great success in both, getting to number one in the world in, you know, in a stroke play heavy uh, schedule, you obviously can play both, both stroke play and match play. But what would you say, you know, why you have had such success in match play is there something about the format that well i think we uh, as as uh, as someone who grew up in england we we kind of grow up around match play you know um played a lot of it uh, as a junior as a kid um county golf um you know playing for my country england um and playing in Walker Cups, you know, playing Eisenhower's. Uh, I mean, well, Eisenhower's more stroke play, but um, you know, we're 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 very, um, yeah, uh, exposed to it um, at a pretty early age. So we get used to kind of the the feel of match play because it is quite different. And I think I've always loved the team aspect as well. You know, I think golf is is tough. Um, sometimes when it comes to just being an individual sport you and your caddy pretty much most of the time and you're kind of out there on your own very much like tennis you know it's i think once you get into that team atmosphere um that becomes kind of fun you're playing for something a little bit more than yourself um you know obviously there's a lot of intricacies to match play you know when to give putts when not to you know when to attack when not to you know but Ultimately, I still felt like it, my success in match play came from just being not forcing issues in a way, you know, making my opponent win holes, you know, not giving away holes, you know, that consistency kind of I had in my game. I'd hit a lot of fairways, I hit a lot of greens, you know, I'd just kind of be there or thereabouts the whole time and I'd just kind of wear my opponents down through consistency, just not letting them up mentally almost like thinking oh here i got him on this hole um you know coupled with some good short game you know making putts when you need to i think is important in, in match play too um yeah i'm guessing all of those led to yeah a, a pretty decent record in match play it's it's fascinating in match play i think about like the different player styles where you have guys that you know are artists around the greens or you have your guys that are kind of good at everything and then you have the power guys that you know if you're a 
middle of the road, shorter hitter, you're looking at the fairway, up the fairway, 60 yards at them and you're hitting your second shot and they're, everybody puts pressure on each other in different ways and different points of the match, you know, on holes. Did, was there a specific or type of player that you, you know, in a single style that you dislike playing against more than another? Um, I never really thought about it that way. I, I, you know, I, I suppose players that matched up well to me, you know, that were similar to me, you know, I never really was too concerned with players that bombed it past me, although I did lose a couple singles matches to Hank Keeney uh, in the Palmer <laughs> Cup when I was younger. Um, and that guy would hit it seven yards past me at that point. I mean, it was just... Look, matches were close, but you know, I think when you hit it that far by someone, it's the the, the f- it does favor in in the longer hitter player hands. But I, I suppose just playing, you know, you know, I remember 2010 um, Ryder Cup. I was at Kelting Manor. I got paired up against Jim Furyk in the singles, and you know, that's that I thought was going to be a tricky one, just because we're such similar games. You know, we're always in the hole. We're, we're grinders. We're going to get up and down. You never really think, oh, he's not going to get this one up and down or he's not going to make this part. You know, those are the kind of matches that I'd probably step up and, and thought that this was going to be a tough match. Yeah, that's, it's, I think that's one of the fascinating things about match play is it makes it more like the NBA where you have like Michael Jordan, you know, a shooting guard, and, you know, then you have like your power player who might be like a, Carl Malone, it, it, you know, it, it brings to forefront more of the guy's skills and shows the contrast of how they get it done. It's like, you know, watching it, something I always think about is like Kevin Na has actually a really good record in like the WGC match play. And I think it's because he just plays a little different than everybody he gets, you know, and the way he gets around the golf courses. And I think mentally, especially in today's you know, power game yeah. uh, that is uh, that we that we have. Um, you know, over eighteen holes, you just feel like oh, you got you, anybody's got a chance. You know, mm-hmm. against anybody. So it's not it's not really like some of the the other sports where just the favorites have a chance. You know, in tennis, the, the top four seeds usually meet in the in the semifinals. Mm-hmm. In golf, you know, uh, over eighteen holes, anyone can beat anyone. I mean, and I think. Um, mentally for someone like a Kevin Nahr or someone that that's that's encouraging yeah so um you've you've been playing professional golf uh over the last you know two decades now how do you think the the game on tours has changed in that time well I think it's changed a lot I think um we can look at all kinds of different aspects of the game fitness Golf equipment, um, golf courses, um, you know, um, it, it really has changed a lot. Uh, I think we're obviously seeing golfers hit the ball a lot further now than when I started in 2002. Um, you know, it feels like when I started, course management was, was somewhat important. It's, it's a little bit thrown out the window these days. You know, I think that the aim on most holes is to get it as close as the, the hole as, as you can off the tee and go from there, you know, with people using 64 degree wedges. It doesn't, we have so much loft now and, and the knowledge as well of how to hit the ball further. 
um, that uh, the, the, the game has really changed a lot. And um, yeah, it's become a little bit tougher for, for guys like me, but uh, there's, there's still ways. Being a shorter hitter, what, what courses on tour do you feel like, you know, when you tee it up at this course, I, I've got like great chance this week. And are there courses where you're like, I got to play absolutely perfect to have a chance? Well, yeah, there there are definitely courses that are, that I like to pick and and choose. You know, so, I mean, Hilton Head would probably be a, a great example. Which was, Hilton Head actually is a funny one because I, when I first played there on tour, I didn't play very well there. I don't know for whatever reason, missed a bunch of cuts, maybe finished top fifty once or twice. And after about four or five years, I thought oh, I'm gonna not bother going back here for a few years at least. So I, I gave it a break. And then suddenly I came back and, you know, for for a course that should have suited me, I'd done terribly around it. So I came back and uh, then started to perform, perform better because, you know, it's the type of course which takes driver out of a lot of the, the longer hitters' hands. It's so narrow, a lot of dog legs, um, you know, very small greens, um, you know, reasonably flat surfaces, but, you know, tiny greens that, you know, if you're reasonably proficient around the greens i think you have a good opportunity to get the ball up and down and you're going to be left with a lot of those tricky six seven footers for pars at times and um it's a frustrating course too you can hit great shots and be blocked out and you know um think you have a good shot into a green it catches a tree limb and kicks 30 yards right so it, it demands a lot of patience um um, it doesn't need too much length and you need to be pretty good around the greens. It's, it's kind of one of those frustrating courses. So, you know, a, that's a kind of course I tend to, to be drawn towards. Um, there's less and less of them on tour they, these days, but, um, yeah, I think, um, I certainly have to be wise with the, the courses I choose. What do you think changed from when you took a break and came back and all of a sudden have had unbelievable success? I think you, you got... Was it four or five runner-ups there? I've had five runners-up and three-thirds, I three believe. Thirds, yeah. <laughs> yeah, eight top threes um, without a win, unfortunately. I seem to uh, get picked by someone charging through the field on, on Sunday a few times. But um, what has changed? I just, I just think... Um, yeah, I needed that break away from it for a while. You know, for some reason it wasn't wasn't working. I couldn't visually see the shots, and uh, for some some reason something switched, and I was able to um, you know, manage my way around that courses uh, a little bit better. Um, I think my my short game putting did improve, which helps because it is a course you're not going to hit as many greens as usual, so. You know, I was a good short game player and a good putter through 2006, but I got a lot better from 2009 onwards. You know, after I had a, I had a wrist surgery in 2008, I really spent a lot of time practicing from 100 yards in, and that was, you know, that was a lot of the key to me getting to number one in the world. So I think that that improved too. So, so the injury and the time not being able to, say, go full bore at it, was like a huge had a huge impact on your career at the time away yeah it's funny how sometimes you know what you think at the time is going to be one of the biggest negatives 
um, turns out to be one of the biggest positives. You know, when obviously you have a an injury like that, an injury that that had to be surgically repaired. You know, there's all kinds of things that go through your mind. You know, is this the end? Am I going to be able to hit balls again? Am I ever going to be the same? But it kind of allowed me, you know, the the way the um, the rehab was. I had to really start with putting for a couple of weeks. Um, then I could hit some very light chips, but at the same time I was still putting. You know, I was putting two, three hours a day, and then I went and added some small pitches, small chips, to you know, to getting up to wedges. It was a very slow process, but it gave me a, about a two month window where I was really focused on. Uh, Punning, especially, and and short game, and um, I think it allowed me, like going back to that time, it allowed me some time to really work on fundamentals, to get in the great reps, and build up confidence uh, in that area. And um, yeah, I, I mean, for four or five years, I don't think anyone was better than me from 120 yards and in. Yeah, it's, it's a good spot. That's a good spot to be really good at. You know, <laughs> you've got to pick your battles. You know, and I think um, part of the wrist uh, breakdown was, you know, me trying to keep up with some of the guys. You know, trying to find some extra lanes, trying and hit it harder. I've already always had a little bit of a wristy swing. I never really used my body uh, to turn. Um, so you know when that happened it was just a good reminder like let, let's just play to what you're good at you know you're not gonna it's pointless trying to chase too much distance you're just going to injure yourself again so concentrate on what you can control mm-hmm. and um and be good at that yeah is it that was a, a thing that a lot of players went through with uh with you know kind of the rise of tiger the lengthening of the courses was, you know martin keimer famously was trying to learn to draw the ball for Augusta. And then, you know, when he went back to hitting the fade, he all of a sudden won a bunch more again. And it's, it, it, it's a fascinating thing it, with you coming back from a, a back, you know, you're dealing with a back injury now is, is it different because of the back? Is it harder to do like long sessions putting and, and stuff like that? Well, <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously a little bit older than I was when I when I injured my wrist, um, which was 2008. But so I've got time is going against me a little bit. But I, we're, we're fortunate in this game. You know, I can play till I'm 60 really on the Champions Tour if I want to. What's Ben Langer? He might be 60 now already and yeah. still crushing it out there. But um, you know, I'm trying to see this back injury is you know something similar to the wrist injury you know it doesn't feel very good at the time you know and you're being out and it's frustrating um but hopefully it's a positive again it's given me some time to look at you know why did this happen you know there's obviously some things going on in my swing that were 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 causing a little bit of this uh, inflammation in my back and so you know i think i'm i'm improving um, not only my setup, my fundamentals in my golf swing, but hopefully this will lead to some more consistency in my long game. And um, I mean, I, yeah, I've got to be a little bit careful in terms of reps and smashing balls, but I've been that way for quite a few years now since having kids. I'm more efficient with my practice. I still practice hard, but I practice smart and I'm not out there, you know, eight hours a day, every day. You know, um, I can do a good session in four hours. Mm-hmm. And get feel like I have done enough work to to be um, to be uh, one of the best players out there. So, 
it's uh, again trying to turn a, a positive into a, a negative into a positive. No, that's I think that I think it gives you. I feel like when you're in the hole and you're you're looking at the same problem day in day out every day, and you're going and you know grinding. Like for me, I'm always like you know in there thinking about golf and writing and thinking about other stuff. Is like when you take days off or like even just a day off is so valuable because you come back with a completely refreshed perspective. But then, you know, I, I remember I went on our honeymoon and I came back after like a, you know, 10 day break. And like, I was so refreshed and I had a whole new perspective on so many of the same problems I was looking at every day and day out. Like you, it allows you time away to, to really think and, and wash away like the, conclusions you have in your head from looking at it through the same lens i totally agree you know i think well, that's why weekends are so important for the guy that works you know monday to friday you know they need that that break that break that re- refresh feeling so they can tackle the week uh, in front of them but you know, i've i've even actually in some of my off off time been doing some puzzles and again i think it's good for the brain and you know thousand piece puzzles and I'll, I'll work on them but if i'm not over it for like an hour looking at it suddenly, suddenly you just can't see anything you step away for an hour come back and you're like oh that was why didn't i see that piece that piece that piece that piece goes there it's amazing how you can become stale by you know just being in a, in, in doing something over and over again without that that kind of break yeah because you're just you're doing the same thing it's like you be, you're becoming more of a robot instead of a you know, what makes humans so special is like the ability to, you know, think and adapt. And, and you know, that's a, it's a fascinating. I yeah, think I remember, you only got to get a little bit better every day. So, you know, you're not trying to, you know, take major steps. I think some people, you know, again, if you can just get a tiny little bit better every day, then that over time, that's going to lead to something great. It's, somebody said to me once, I was when I was a high school golfer, like, you know, there these great players in the area is like, you know, they said to me, and it didn't make any sense then, but it was like, well, like the hard thing for him is going to be, how does he get better? You know, now that he's here, because like, once you're really great, a really great golfer, then I think this is what the, you know, a lot of, you know, 15 handicaps going from 15 to 10 is tough, but going from, you know, I imagine 70th in the world to 25th is even harder, you know, like trying to pick up those small little percentage points that make the biggest difference. Yeah. But I think you have to think about it that way. If you, if you start, you know, you, uh, you, you got to break, break things down into little uh, uh, goals that you feel like can be accomplished. You know, if something seems too big, then just break it down into little things and, I think over time um, you you accomplish those little things and that will lead to that bigger thing. It's just, you know, it's all about, you know, we hear the word process and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's easy to get ahead of ourselves, but if you do it that way, I think it becomes a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so with, you know, you have regular events, the week in, week out, PGA Tour grind, and then everybody does a little bit different for majors. Like, how would you say your preparation over your career for majors has been different. Does it differ for different venues? Does it differ for different majors or is it just the same? Um, I think at times it differed. You know, I tried lots of different scenarios. Uh, obviously it was never, 
never successful up until this point um, to get the right scenario. Been up there quite a few times and had some good chances, but you know, I, I think Augusta was always the one that you tried to could prepare a little bit easier. You, you know, I'd go up there quite a bit before and, and practice and play, and um, even though that course wasn't specifically suited towards my game, you know, since some of the changes in 2004 or five. Um, that was the course I probably spent the most time playing before the actual tournament. I think one, because it was special and it's very cool and you never know how many times you're going to have that opportunity to go practice if you're eligible to be in that field. Um, but the other majors, yeah, I, I, I tried playing before the week before i tried taking weeks off before um i just think sometimes it's you're going to be your time and you just find that groove in golf uh, and sometimes it's it, 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 it's not going to work out but I, I never found like the kind of kind of the right um yeah the right what I needed to do to be peaking at that majors, those majors. I, I came close a few times, um, but that that was tough. Yeah. What was the what was your favorite major venue that you've played in to date? I would probably go back to. There's a few of them. Obviously, I had a, a pretty good chance at Marion at the U.S. Open. Played with uh, Justin Rose in the final group there when he went on to win. Um, you know, enjoyed that kind of cool, quirky course. Um, I, I love the Open Championship, obviously, being being from England. Um, again, I, I, I go back to ones I've had chances, I suppose. Turnbury mm -hmm. had a good chance to year. Stuart Sink won. Um, absolutely love that golf course. I, I always love playing at St. Andrews, mm -hmm. you know, just because of the feel, the history. And what St. Andrews is, I, that, was, that was a course I never really enjoyed the first few times I played it. I just didn't quite understand it. I was like, this is like an open open field with bumps and humps. And and then the more I played it, the more the conditions changed minutely and it just changed the course completely. And, you know, how important angles were to some of the pins and, you know, uh, all the, all those kind of cool uh, architectural features that uh, St. Andrews you know, just kind of had that, uh, that, that was always a, a special place for me to play. Yeah. That's, I mean, you hear it with so many people is like the first time around, they just don't even have a clue what's going on. And, and then do you, do, do you have like a light bulb moment of like when you were like, Oh, wow, this is, this is it. Well, just certain holes, you know, even I, you know, think of for me, especially like that, that fourth hole, um, yeah, I wasn't. If the wind was anywhere in my face, I couldn't carry that mound, you know. Which was, that's the easy way to go. Just go down the left-hand side. But you know, if that pin is tucked over on the left-hand side, you've got no angle to hit it um, towards those pins. So you have to take it down that right-hand side, that narrow little place. There's a couple bunkers waiting for you um, to give yourself the great angle. And um, you know, I think it's easy to kind of just blow it to the wide part of the fairway, fairway but you know having creating that, that perfect angle to to some of those left pins is is pretty cool um you know and you have that's that's when you have to step up and hit great shots around uh, st andrews mm. i know i know you have uh 
some interest in golf course architecture. Is is that something that you're looking to get into more as as you you know as you? Yeah, I would. I would. I would love to. Um, I've I've done um, well. I've, I've done a little bit of work with Dave Zinkin, who um, worked um, you know a long time with Core and Crenshaw. He was uh, their lead shaper for I think 14 years, and he's doing some work on his own. And we're we're looking at some projects to to do. Um, down the road, um, even you know, um, you know, we've even talked to Canal Shores, uh, the little place in sh- in Chicago, about maybe doing something there. So that would be fun. Um, but yeah, I, lo- I love I love architecture. I've you know I've read some of the the books. I love uh, Corn Crenshaw. I love the Doke stuff. Um, yeah, golf course for me is um, you know isn't necessarily about score too, yeah. which I think. Some architects kind of, they're very score related, which, you know, obviously great if you're designing a tour course, I guess. But, you know, what, what about the other 98% of the uh, golfers that are playing? You know, it's just going to be a tough challenge for them. But, um, yeah, for me, you know, using the land, um, you know, good aesthetics, you know, good, good fun, uh, interesting greens, you know, those kind of things are kind of the, the, the types of architecture that I enjoy. It's it's fascinating. I, th- I think about the core Crenshaw stuff, and obviously, like, Trinity Forest was a first time uh, outside of Kapalua where, like, core Crenshaw, Doak, uh, have really had a course that the world's best have played on, the modern's best architects, you know, golf courses. I guess Gil Hansen, Rio, was another example um, but it, from your perspective, when you go play one of these types of golf courses, yeah, is it, is it necessarily easier? It might be, is it easier to score or is it, you know, is it, does it present different challenges than your standard TPC course? Um, I haven't played Trinity Forest, but, um, certainly played some good core Crenshaw courses. One of my favorite would be, you know, Friar's Head, um, Long Island, you know, the, when I played that, I was just blown away how how much fun it was to play. You know, a lot of a lot of people, I always get the question, what what courses? What's your favorite course to play? And a lot of them really aren't tour courses. You know, tour courses are courses you might play well and shoot sixty six round. Uh, if you struggle, you're gonna shoot seventy six. You know, it, it's a little bit more score related. Um, whereas, you know, courses I love to play. Yeah, it's quite easy to shoot 62 now and again. I think score isn't really important, though. Mm-hmm. But I could also walk off shooting 72 and not played well and thought, I love this course. Yeah. You know, um, this I just had so much fun playing it. Um, you know, fun green complexes. Um, you know, again, strategy off the tee, making you think. You know, even most of these places now uh, have quite wide fairways but there's an art to it you know you really have to step up on the tee and where's the pin where am i going to hit this um you know whereas tour courses have a little bit less of that these days so i'm i'm curious is if you took par like the concept of you know 72 being par and you went somewhere like you know where you describe where it's say it was just if you threw par out the window, how do you think the, you know, if you played a professional tournament at one of these courses, 
would there be, would it be much different in terms of like, you know, the leaderboard? Like, would you see more varied styles and, and such? Well, I think the the type of course still has that overriding factor of, you know, who's who's going to do well, who's not going to do well. But certainly mentally, if you take par out of the equation, I think it just does change it. We talked about this a little bit earlier about how at Pebble Beach that one year they, they turned the second hole from a par five to a par four. And when it was a par four, the scoring average was, was higher. So mentally... I think without any relevance to par, yeah, would that be easier? Um, probably. I guess, yeah. And if, if they just weren't concerned with guys shooting 62s or 58s or, and they just went to courses that were different, you know, because that's, I guess, from me being, I, I watch a ton of tour golf, but I also have interest in architecture. Is like, I think there's like, there isn't a ton of stylistic, difference between a lot of the golf courses on tour and i think like harbor town's a perfect example that is stylistically very different than almost every other course i think trinity force would be another one that's stylistically different but then you know it's sandwiched in you know a lot of courses that are very similar do you think like if you scored apart is you know it I, it restrains the options of tournament venues. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Um, yeah, I haven't really thought about this and the best way to answer that, but um, certainly having variability is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think even Riviera would probably be on, on that list too. It's like, it's, it's a course... You you play and you think this is a little different to most weeks we play. Um, just has some classic features, some quirkiness, and um, yeah, it's certainly. If people are asking me what what are my favorite courses on tour, that would be one of them at the top of them. What's fascinating about Riviera is that uh, I think Charles Howell is the only player, and I I have this written down somewhere. I looked it up, but he was the only player younger than 28 to win there in the, like the last like 16 years. All the winners have been 28 or over, which is to me utterly fascinating. You know, you yeah, think again, it's one of those classic courses that's going to wear on you. I think with some patience, mm-hmm. um, real understanding of where to miss it, where not to. Um, again, it, it brings in a little bit more strategy and thought. Um, so many cool features the bunker in the middle of the green on the sixth the, the split fairway on eight um you know obviously not very long par threes the tenth hole is obviously mm-hmm. talked about as one of the greatest risk reward par fours in the world um so yeah there's a lot um of strategy at that course and i think when you when you add a little bit of strategy guys who've had experience guys who uh, understand that sometimes backing off is more valuable than just going full tilt. And I think you, you, over four rounds, you're going to give them the advantage. And that's probably why uh, older guys, uh, more experienced guys tend to do well at Riviera. Yeah. Cause Riviera, that seems, it, that's a course where positioning in being, you know, with the, with the way the greens are and the deep bunkers, 
being 50 yards away, is it always advantageous versus, you know, being 120 in, in the right spot, right? I think so. And a little bit to do with the grass. The Kikui is not a grass you can really run up. Um, you know, um, you know, a 50 yard shot, those that, um, the Poana greens, you know, have quite a firm first bounce usually, unless it's rained a lot. So that, that 50 yard shot with like four or five yard, um, you know, on the green with not much green to work with, it's impossible to run it through that Kikuya. Um, so you have to be very precise. So, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. Like, you know, just getting it close to a par five and two is maybe not always advantageous. Maybe laying back, having that hundred yard shot, the fuller shot, create some spin. Maybe that's a little bit uh, of an easier and a better way to play that place. Um, with, uh, growing up in, in England, you obviously were exposed to a lot of great golf early at a young age. Like what, what were your favorite places over there? Yeah, I grew up near London, so um, got to play quite a few of the Heathland courses, you know, Sunningdale, um, the Berkshire. Um, I've never played the Swinley Forest, but, uh, you know, we obviously played some, also some golf up uh, kind of, um, you know, the we would play, I've played Hillside, I've played um, Moortown, I've played... Um, trying to think of some of the other great ones. Obviously, I played a lot in Scotland and Ireland, but I'm trying to think of good ones in England. You know, obviously Lytham and um, uh, there's a, a bunch of those great ones around that Liverpool area that mm-hmm. uh, that I got to play. But there's, there's a lot of really good ones in, in in London too. Yeah. What what players growing up did you kind of idolize the most um, from like a you know, professional standpoint. Uh, grew up loving Faldo and Seve were, were my two idols, probably for, for very different reasons. You know, I think I was in awe of Faldo and his work ethic and how meticulous he was and just the small details he'd went to. You just felt like the guy was on the range, you know, from morning till dusk, you know. But Seve, obviously, for his short game, his... Um, his flair, his ability to get the ball up and down from anywhere. I think that influenced me, certainly. Um, very Two different, very different personalities, but those were the two guys that, yeah, for very different reasons, um, were kind of idols in my eyes. Yeah, your, your bunker play could, you know, you could go toe-to-toe with <laughs> Seve. You know, that would be a, be a fun... Like, I always wonder why golf doesn't have, like, a skills challenge yeah, i'd still give it to Seve. i mean he he never even had a 60 degree wedge didn't even know what that was so he, he could uh work magic with i think his highest wedge was probably 56 maybe degrees so what do you think would happen if they took away wedges ab- above 56 degrees i just this just popped into my head yeah i i, I think you'd have to understand fundamentals a little bit better you know the the huge amount of bounce sometimes now we have on on wedges that that help us you know around the greens um they tried to minimize some of it and they with the grooves and um and the like but they certainly haven't ever thought about minimizing loft but that that might be an interesting one i mean learning you know suddenly 
it feels like nowadays you can pretty much get to any pin unless the greens are quite undulating but most greens we still play on tour you know modest and and, and somewhat flat um you know, green speeds are faster take it but you know that that again the the amount of people who have 60 degree and 64 degree wedges you know pretty much you short side yourself you can still give yourself a good chance of getting the ball up and down imagine if you only had a 56 that becomes a little bit more difficult you have to really learn how to use that that wedge pers- uh, well to create the correct spin to, to get one of those short side shots close that'd be interesting i I, I always, you know, I know that'll never probably happen. I've always wanted to see like, you know, like a, a seven or a four or five club event, right. you know, it, you know, if you it'd be so fascinating to see the shot making, I think that's, that's one of the things I, I wish is like seeing all the creativity and all the shots that, you know, you guys can hit would be the most fascinating aspect of it. Because, but with the modern equipment, it doesn't seem you don't have to hit all the shots all the time. No, again, strategy. I, I believe you know it's so much less than it was when I first came out on tour. You know, course management is um, it's not really there's not too much of it these days. Um, but uh, yeah, five club challenge tournament that that could be interesting. Um, yeah. I think people would still put the driver in. I think you'd have to. <laughs> I got to, but um, so. Let's uh, kind of wrap some stuff up here and have a few quick, quick hits, you know? Okay. So like what's been the most memorable moment? Like what's the moment you think about most going back to your career at this point? Um, it probably have to be my, my playoff win over Lee Westwood at Wentworth just because it, it got me to number one. It was um, at a place just down the road from where I grew up. I had lots of family and friends there. I think it was a fun night of celebrations. Um, that was that was quite... Cool. I'd knocked on the door for a couple of months leading up to that, having good chances to get to number one and couldn't quite quite do it. And so... It was obviously meant to be to to be wait to, to wait my time until uh, a place like Wentworth, where you know, very close to where I grew up. Yeah, I saw it like Harbortown. You lost in the playoff to Snedeker, Snez, and you would have yeah. been number one then if you had got. It's it's uh yeah that's it. I remember. I actually remember that you hit a wedge real close on on the. Yeah, playoff yeah. hall hit it pretty close, and yeah. West Westy hit one and got a lot of spin and just just crept into the water there. But uh, yeah. It was, Thankful for that victory. Who's who's the player that like best player to hang out have like a pint with? Mm. Tricky one, that yeah. Lots of funny guys. Obviously, made lots of good friends during Ryder Cups. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a we had a group group WhatsApp chat going. Uh, for the Ryder Cup, which was kind of fun. And you, you get to even just through that experience, you know, different personalities. Tommy Fleetwood has a great sense of humor. Um, yeah, I've obviously been good friends with Sergio. He's he's not much of a drinker, so I wouldn't choose him. Um, I don't know. That's a good one. I don't know. Had a f- few good times over the years, though, but uh, can't think of anyone specific. Yeah. What was, what's the best uh, Ryder Cup memory? 
Best shot I ever hit probably the Ryder Cup was my seven iron at Medina against Tiger and Stricker um, in the four balls. You know, just at the time we were we were we were getting beaten pretty handily. I mean, we were down ten four I think at the time, and you know, obviously, I think what what it meant in the grand scheme of things, and obviously we we had the big comeback on Sunday, but winning that point and then Poulter and McIlroy winning their point to get to ten six to even give us a sniff. Mm-hmm. I think, and obviously against one of the greatest players of all time, he just stuffed it into five feet on 17. He just birdied the, the hole before 16, and the pressure was all on us. We were only one up, having been four up at the turn. You know, it was all going away. It looked like, oh, here goes. We're going to maybe lose this point, maybe get a half, and then suddenly I you know, was able to come up with, with the goods, hit it inside, and we matched birdies, and then half the last hole to win the point. So... That would probably be my best shot. What's the one where you, the tournament that you didn't get it done or, you know, that sticks with you the most? Mm, probably that U.S. Open with um, Justin. You know, I think uh, it's funny. That was That was a positive time that probably turned into a negative. And I'll explain it because, you know, obviously positive because I had a great chance to win that U.S. Open. I walked off Sunday having watched Rose do his thing, you know, pure it the whole way around. I mean, we saw that four iron on the last, nearly went in the hole. I mean, every shot was just down the middle. And, And I walked away thinking, man, my game doesn't feel like that, especially off the tee. And I tried to... I tried to change a few things. I actually went away from Pat Goss. I went to a different coach for a year. went to Chuck Cook. And, you know, obviously haven't really been as as good since that time. I think, you know, obviously we went back to Pat. But it took some unraveling to, you know, the, the swing that I tried to go to wasn't really working. I'm not taking anything from Chuck and what he does. But it wasn't right for me. And, you know... Looking back, I wish I'd just stuck to what I knew I was good at. It was funny. It was a time where I had a great chance to win a major and I walked away thinking I needed to change things. And it's just, it's a crazy the way we think. Yeah. But, you know, obviously led to some kind of poor golf. And, um, yeah, I wish I'd had that back. You know, I wish I'd either played a bit better or even played really worse. I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, maybe even not having being paired with with Rosie would have changed you know the next few years of my life who knows but it's hard to have hindsight like that because it's well it was fascinating is that if you flipped the situation and you win Rose probably would have gone god I got it yeah and, and I would have been playing like he has the last few years <laughs> and the the crazy like the crazy stuff about it is like as a golfer I feel like you're always envious of of what someone else has right. and they're always looking at you and are envious you about never realize you that part though do you i know, that's the hardest thing to think about and i i never really thought about it until what you just said yeah is that yeah you always want something that somebody else has and when really you should be just concentrating i think that when i got to number one that was what my biggest skill was i knew what i was good at and i just 
concentrate on that. I didn't care that I didn't hit it as far as everyone or whatever. I knew that if I could do this as as well as I needed to be, then I could be as good as I wanted to be, really. You know, and um, yeah, even though it was strokes gained, I'm. I think that year, 2011, I was around even strokes gained off the tee, but you know, I knew that I needed to gain practically two strokes around on average to be number one in the world and i had to do it through my strengths mm-hmm. so that that time you were just all you know focused on how do i you were i could control yeah. yeah yeah not worrying what other people were good at or mm-hmm. worrying what i was good at concentrate that's on my on my my skill set yeah that's a yeah that's a good point it's like you get wrapped up you're always looking at what other people are doing in any industry you know if you're if you're a sales guy you know you're looking at what the guy down the down the row is doing that's you know maybe beat you two months in a row is and you're like oh maybe i'll try and do that but i think with like sales for example like what makes you unique is you you know and you can't try and be somebody else why be everyone, anyone else? Everyone else is taken. That's yeah. what someone told me. Yeah. <laughs> Just be you. It's a good quote. So uh, that's a, I, I, that's what I got. I uh, I really appreciate you coming on. I think uh, sure and taking the time and giving more than well. Enjoy your podcasts and uh, everything you're doing. So good luck with it. And yeah. Well, we're, when are uh, the fans going to see you next? I'll be out soon, um, either Honda uh, or Tampa, hopefully. So uh, making some good progress, um, building some great resiliency in my back. You know, just being taking it quite easy. Uh, I want to make sure I get it right. Um, but uh, looking forward to a, a busy summer, hopefully. Yeah, Harbor Town. There we go. Let's get that win. <laughs> I know. Is it your due? Exactly. <laughs>